0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. Grab a seat, or if you're in your car, buckle up and get comfortable. You're now entering the smartest doctor in the room. Today's topic is about a device that helps you cope with stress and anxiety without a pill. Doesn't that really sound exciting? Um, I was fortunate to find out about this device in the last year. Uh, from another colleague of mine who's recommended it for many patients with various medical issues. So Dr. Dave Rabin uh, is a research physician, psychiatrist, neuroscientist, did a lot of his work at the University of Pittsburgh, and he is the founder of the device Apollo Neuro. It's a company that uh, makes this device that works, and we're going to get into how it works, you know, to help relieve stress, improve your sleep, uh, but I really want to delve into how does it really work. So with that, I'd love to welcome Dr. Dave Rabin to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure to be here with you. Okay. So I think you know our listeners and the public, they're familiar with a lot of things that are out there today with these all these uh, wearables. And they get a lot of information, you know well they didn't sleep as good as they thought, or we'll talk about heart rate variability, you know Apple obviously, and they're all competing really hard to get into this space because they I guess they believe it's going to be overall healthy for the person. so maybe you could explain to our listeners remember when I first heard about it, what an Apollo neuro device is, and who could
1: potentially benefit from it sure um. Thanks again for having me on. Um, so Apollo Neuro is a wearable technology. Uh, it's a new kind of wearable technology. It's the first of its kind that we developed out of the University of Pittsburgh uh, in the Department of Psychiatry uh, when I was doing research on ways to try to understand and intervene in the stress response more effectively, uh, specifically for veterans with severe PTSD, oh, and it could wow. to have positive benefits for the rest of us as well. Um, and it's a wearable device. You could see me wearing it on my chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dean, you're wearing it on your wrist. And my um, wrist, you see all these different places, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works anywhere in your body. And the way it works is it delivers soothing, unlike other wearables that just track your data, and then give you information that right. you have to act on um, to get an effect and to feel different. That requires a lot of effort. And that really was the the goal of the Gen one and Gen two wearables like the um, aura rings and the uh, fitness trackers and the Apple watches their whoops their main goal was give you information about your health so that you can make changes right and change is hard when you're already stressed out and we know this from the psychology literature that you know when people are in fight or flight mode when they're cr- chronically stressed, when they have a mental illness, a physical illness, making behavior change in your life becomes that much harder. And so we thought, well, our patients are struggling with PTSD, they're in the same camp. Oh yeah, right. There's... Right, and they they can't even, they're highly trained to deal with stress, but then they come right. back to civilian life and they really struggle with that kind of transition. And so we thought, well, what if we could give them something that they could wear, that is really you know, creating a new category of wearable technology, which is the third generation of wearable technology that sig- sends a signal to the body that says, hey body, you're calm. And you can be mindful and present in the moment um, and you don't have to worry so much. And it turns out that there's a highly trained and conserved nervous system in our bodies that signals that kind of thing, which is why hugs feel so good. And, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, purring animals and pets and service animals and um, listening to our favorite songs and calming music. Right, all, all right. Frequency based. Um, interventions that we use commonly to calm our bodies. So we worked on developing Apollo to deliver a signal to the body that feels like a soothing, gentle wave of vibration that induces and activates some of those safety pathways in the body on the go. Okay. You know, I want to just stop you once again. You're you're making
0: some really great points that I want the listeners to appreciate. It's something that I deal with and I'm sure you do in in your practice because you were telling me that you see patients that... You know, when people are really stressed, as you were alluding to, it's really hard to say, okay, let's go meditate now. Or even if you have a really good meditative practice, I mean, unless you're a Buddhist monk who does this hours on a day and has no other you know, overhead <laughs> and financial obligations, it's really tough. And it's almost impractical. I mean, it's nice to have those things as an adjunct, but it's nice to have something that can really give you a boost when you need it. And obviously, most patients, especially ones that I'm seeing, really would like to avoid drugs. And one of the point I just want to make, because I've actually had, you, you're, I'm sure you know uh, Peter Statz from who makes the GammaCore device, or if you're familiar with you know, the vagal nerve simulation. And I actually also had the amazing privilege of interviewing Kevin Tracy, uh, the first year of my uh, practice, who's like the pioneer in Magal nerve stimulation. And I've always been saying this now, even to patients, because I get really excited about it, is that when you look back at the history of medicine, I think we're going to look back and say, you know, in the early days of medicine, when it went from voodoo to real, it was like anatomy, which led to surgery. I mean, we understood the organs and then, you know, obviously, you know, doing surgical procedures. I mean, even going back to when people had ulcers I and mean, you, you may have heard this because before our time, but they used to cut the vagus nerve, you know, to treat ulcers, which seems barbaric now. And then the next phase of medicine was really, I call the chemistry phase, you know, where pharmacologics came in and they, you know, block certain receptors in the body. And obviously, this is still ongoing, and medicine has got a lot of its prestige from accomplishing these things and improving patients' lives. But I think the next iteration of medicine is going to be electric medicine, you know. And uh, I think, you know, uh, folks like yourself who are doing this kind of work are real it's really exciting because it's almost hard for patients because their doctors don't aren't even aware of this. They don't, you know, I mean, the people in the alternative medicine world who were doing acupuncture in these other areas have sort of been always aware of this type of thing. And again, one of the things I think Kevin Tracy's work has showed, and you know, I'm sure Stephen Porges, who's like the, we'll get into his work about this whole polyvagal theory, is that how do we calm down that fight or flight response and can it really be done you know, with the wearable. So after that whole diatribe. So what would you say? I mean, you worked with the PTSD veterans, which is really amazing. I mean, it's an amazing, unfortunate group of of, of our population that have sacrificed for us and come back and are struggling to get back into everyday life. So what did you start to feel in your research that was addressing their anxiety, their depression,
1: their sleep or all of it, you know, or... Yeah, it's a it's a great question. You know, I think part you know that starts with looking at what is actually going on in these folks when they come back from conflict zones and right. why don't they get better, which is really interesting. And you know, I think this I, I've always been interested in solving hard problems in in life in and in particular in medicine. I used to work originally when I started studying chronic stress, I was looking at um mostly dementia disorders and disorders of aging. Um, that don't get better and why do some people get them and other people don't how do we prevent them more effectively um, by regulating chronic stress? because we know that stress, whether it's caused by sleep deprivation or too much threatening too many threatening experiences over time where we're not supported afterwards or too much stimulation, too many responsibilities, too much news, right all of it increases inflammation in the body. And when and and disease really the modern theory of disease, um, whether it's mental health or physical health, seems to be really closely tied to this idea of inflammation. Mm-hmm. And when we have too much of it, and it's running rampant, and the body has perceives that there's a constant stress response going on, then our immune system starts to dysfunction, our nervous system starts to dysfunction. It gets overstimulated by these inflammatory molecules. And, you know, there's a lot of them and there's a lot of inflammation that is important to cell functioning but there's once it gets too much, it starts to create disease and disorder in the body. And and that's what causes some of the downstream effects of illness. And so in veterans, we were seeing this, but we were seeing it specifically from trauma and that these folks were coming to our clinic um, or we were seeing them in the VA and they were already taking at least five medications to manage their symptoms, none of which were actually solving their core problem. They were just either numbing them or distracting them from the sleep issues and the anxiety and the hypervigilance, which is a medical term for basically always feeling afraid. And as we started to to look at these folks more critically and realize that over 70% of them don't get better long-term with the treatments we have currently available in in the Western medical system, you know, with my neuroscience researcher hat on, I started to ask questions about, you know, maybe there's a better way to do this. Maybe our theory of trauma and what's actually treating it and causing it is not quite right because more than half of our patients are still sick years out. So maybe there's something better we can be doing. And as I started to explore that, I realized that number one, If you look at the literature of all the folks who've been studied with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or traumatic brain injury, who are veterans or non-veterans, almost all of them have low heart rate variability across the board, which is a sign that their vagal nerve tone, their parasympathetic rest and recovery nervous system is functioning at a low level, not where it should be, and that their fight or flight nervous system is at a high level all the time, meaning they're always perceiving threat from the environment, um, like we talked about earlier, the core symptom of PTSD is hypervigilance, always looking over your shoulder, always Right, yeah,
0: that's great. huge. I want to ask you something important, because that was actually going to be my next question, uh, because this has come up in some of the other podcasts with, with Peter Statz, and so this whole idea of this uh, increased or decreased heart rate, permeability, uh, heart rate variability, which can increase heart rate variability supposedly is good. I guess that means your parasympathetic system is working really nicely, whereas the decrease is, is poor. How is that actually measured? I always say this, and again, you have a medical, you know, license like I do that, you know, when I look at an EKG, you know, and, you know, normally you look at someone's EKG and, you know, you'll see what we call sinus rhythm. Their, their beats are going 70 beats every, you know, for the most part, you know, and, and if it's and if it's and if it's variable, that's not a good thing because they might be in an arrhythmia. So how is this measured uh, and, and can devices measure that even like are these Apple devices measuring that heart rate variability and how is it doing that?
1: Yeah, so so almost all wearable fitness trackers of the generation two variety, so the Garmin's yeah. the new Fitbits, the new the new aura rings, the the whoop, the Apple watches, they all measure heart rate variability now mm-hmm. because heart rate variability has been shown to be the leading metric that predicts everything from our chances of recovering from illness to our chances of getting sick. From an illness to injury and in athletic event to poor consistent performance to actual longevity and health span in recent studies, this so, is really important. I just want to get emphasized yeah. to the listeners. This is like really
0: important. I mean, everybody's running around worried about their cholesterol and this and that. Too. We,
1: you know, you got to really pay attention to this heart rate variability thing. Okay. Yeah, because, yeah and, and because it's an overall measure of how recovered and resilient our body is, how adapted yeah. our bodies are, and we can measure it through the skin, which is really exciting. And wow. but what's, what's also really interesting is that heart rate variability hasn't been taught or um, used much in Western medicine. Right. because It really came out of the cardiovascular recovery world where we we're looking at <laughs> Um, heart rate variability in some of the most cardio, like cardiovascularly diseased folks after they have a heart attack. If you measure their heart rate variability if it's low their chances of having another heart attack are very high Mm. if it's high their chances of recovery are are much better wow and so that's actually where hrv heart rate variability came up in western medicine Mm. but in the human performance and longevity and uh, recovery world it actually surfaced and most of the research came out through the military and the athletic literature and the biofeedback literature before it started to be integrated. But Western so
0: meditation. to ask you again, just so I'm clear, like I know when we do an EKG, when I worked in the hospital, you know, we put the electrodes, all you know, you know, six different positions, this, and that, too. Yeah, so wearable in one position on your
1: skin can tell you your heart rate variability. I mean, how is it doing that? So heart rate variability is really a factor of your heart rate changes over time. So there's a certain, as you mentioned, so EKG is the gold standard for tracking heart rate variability and heart rate and rhythm. So if we want to do this in a laboratory grade, clinical grade setting, accurate way to do it the way we did it in our early studies is you wire somebody up to an EKG machine and you look at their heart rhythm and their heart rate. And then as the heartbeat changes over time, which it does slightly for everyone, um, 60 beats per minute does not actually mean 60 beats per minute. It means it's one beat every 900 milliseconds and sometimes one beat every 90 okay. 90- Fifty milliseconds, and so okay. there's just natural
0: variation. So there really is. I mean, even though we're reading EKGs, you know, when you and I we were in medical school and they are teaching us, uh, and we had our little calipers and we were measuring the thing and saying, "Okay, it's it's regular intervals, but th- it is whatever seventy beats per minute, which is okay." But you're saying there's really that fine difference. Okay, right. now, I'm sorry. This is a little technical for the listeners, but I find oh, it fascinating because I want it to be accurate. I I hate yes. when you get information that is can be awful lot and it gets people crazy, right. you know? So, okay.
1: Yeah, this is a really important point that you're bringing up because with an EKG, the way you traditionally measure heart rate variability is three minutes of sitting still at rest hmm. and you measure somebody's rhythm and then you you do what's called a derivative or the rate of change of the heartbeat right. per yeah, time. Like calculus. <laughs> which, which goes back to our calculus days and that, require, that requires a computer to actually, or some kind of uh, calculator, to do the EKG, heart rate variability calculations, just by looking at it with your eye, you can't really tell. No, normal HRV versus a, right. uh, you know, healthy versus arrhythmia. We look right. at arrhythmia versus normal rate and rhythm, right? So that's what we can tell with our eye, but it's harder to tell that in in the healthy category of HRV. So that's what the computer calculators are for the wearables don't do as good a job because they're wearable they're only looking at one spot on your body so there's more a higher margin of error with wearable technology but it is helpful and so the way what well, does it
0: matter also, doctor mean that whether you're sitting or like let's say somebody looks at happens to look at their wearable and they you know just ran to the subway here in New York or whatever too I mean does it have to be when you're sitting quiet just to see how it's adjusting or or both
1: helpful yeah yeah hrv always goes down when we move so when we when we move when we do okay. any physical activity when we are stressed out right so that's right that's the right that's the sympathetic right. Heart, the nervous system goes up and then our heart beats are closer together so when they okay. are closer together the difference in time between each beat is less so the lower your resting heart rate tend you tend to have a higher heart rate variability if you're not taking beta blockers or any other um, heart rate medication, beta blockers, notoriously reduce heart rate variability, because even though they're very common heart medications, they actually create more consistent beats. Um, so between, is that kind of bad in a way? I mean, just um, I know we're going on these tangents because I want to get back to the. thing, yeah, <laughs> but it's I mean, not good true. for your ability to adapt, right? We like this is this is it's a great it's a great uh, understanding of how like when we when you take a beta blocker your heart rate and rhythm becomes more regular. So when you go to exercise, right, what is the most common side effect that people report from beta blockers? They, they start, start moving and going, and then their heart takes longer to catch up. Right. So and actually participate in the exercise. They're out of breath more easily. They get tired more easily. They're harder to turn on to, to do physical Right, and, right. And it's the, harder to calm down. It's almost so, like wearing like a weight. In your, it's almost like giving somebody a
0: weighted knapsack to exercise because they can't get that heart rate up. All right. And one last question I'm going to ask you because I want to get back to the other thing. But yeah. I remember watching the 60 Minutes several years ago when they had the soldiers that came back that had PTSD. I think they were giving them beta blockers. Was, they almost didn't understand why it was working, but was still somehow blocking out these horrific memories. Uh, has that come across in your work? And is there any, do we have an
1: understanding why that worked for those patients? Yeah, I mean, beta blockers work, right? That the the challenge is, are they actually getting to the root cause of the problem? So if the cause but why are
0: they working? Are they just because they're again, you think at a physiological level, they're you know doing something with this heart rate
1: variability, or just? Well, I think it's not it's not heart rate variability related, but it is autonomically, autonomic related. nervous system related. Okay, yeah. So so okay. I think I think people it 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 numbs the body to the mm-hmm. effects of trauma. Right? Mm-hmm. The effects of trauma are trained fear response. So your body mm-hmm. is trained to oh, be in right. state, so your heart rate is naturally going to be higher, and that correlates with increased breath rate, increased racing thoughts, increased blood pressure. You take a beta blocker, that all of a sudden tells the heart, hey, I'm blocking the receptors that would normally be getting activated by the stress response. Right. So now your stress response is dulled. So, right. Pharmacologically speaking, so then when you actually experience stress you're slower to react to it and you're slower to recover from it, but you're not actually fixing the problem it's just a temporary stabilization switch. right you probably know also that you know and i'm not recommending
0: this for any patients that uh, or listeners, but I remember back in medical school I remember we had like what's called oral exams, which were very uh high anxiety type of things here. You were going yeah. against a professor who had a lot of knowledge and you were going in and he was going to test you in hard. And I remember some of my colleagues, they're like, they look, seem so calm. I go, like, what's going on? Cause I was like jumping out of my skin and they are like, Oh, I took my, uh, my beta block this morning. <laughs> and no. I'm like, what? No. So Okay. Let's go back to, cause this is so important. Cause I I can't believe that I'm not handing out your Apollo neuro devices to all the military people. So
1: we're working on it,
0: and you're yeah, are good? Because you know we, we these people really deserve the best. Um, so, wh- what did you you found that you know? Just so we have a couple of categories here was was it anxiety and depression and insomnia? Like, give us sort of the breakdown
1: on how good they work for you know in, in general for some of these conditions. Yeah. So, so at first, when you're when you start running clinical trials, and I should say heart rate variability, just to wrap up this topic, in the real world, when you're tracking it with your wearables that are not clinical grade, they're like the consumer wearable fitness trackers. Yeah. They're not as accurate as the being wired up in the lab. So you really have to track your heart rate variability week over week, month over month, to get okay. your accurate baseline and to actually make inferences about how to like how recovered you are from that data the day to day tracking because there's so much variability on based on where you wear it how it's tracked what wearables you're using the day to day has a lot of error um, so when we started looking at this we started you know doing the typical clinical rigorous approaches which is you always start with healthy subjects and you start because uh, healthy subjects are less biased to getting better and having an improvement. So you start with healthy subjects, and we did two double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled crossover studies at the University of Pittsburgh in the Department of Psychiatry. One focused on um, cognitive performance and cognitive stress, and the other one focused on physical performance and physical stress. And what was so interesting was that we were able to show that in a fully electromagnetically and soundproof shielded room with, you know, people completely wired up to, to brain uh, uh, EEG measurements and um, hard measurements and EKG, respiratory monitors, sweat monitors, pupil monitors, all the oh, things wow. that we were able to reliably improve heart rate variability in just two to three minutes, even under stress. So even in these situations where we are perceiving threat because we're under mm-hmm. you know, cognitive duress or intense right. physical exercise, that Apollo could actually not only reverse the effects on the nervous system by reminding us that we're safe, um, at least from what people were saying, that, that, that they don't need to be so stressed out and worried, they feel safer in their bodies. That actually has a directly proportionate effect on both cognitive performance up to 25% improvement which to give you an idea is comparable to what we see with amphetamines just by calming the body. And then we also saw that Um, people recovered faster, athletes recovered faster after extreme exercise. And so that led us into an understanding of how Apollo could be used during the day, which was our main focus originally just to help veterans with PTSD function during the day so they could work and they could hang out with their families and they could calm in situations that should be not threatening, that are not actually survival situations. But then we released, after we got results from those studies, the first of which published in 21, Showing that Apollo is the only first and only wearable technology that improves heart rate variability in in two to three minutes, Um, we showed that we we made uh, hundreds of prototypes and distributed them wearable prototypes into the real world in healthy subjects and clinical study subjects over three thousand people over two years between 2018 and 2020, which is a step that most companies don't take. Yeah. see would people use this in the real world the way we thought they would they would use it from the lab data and we found out that most people actually used it for sleep more than for focus
0: yeah i've heard people use stuff like this that it really helps their sleep yeah and so that's fascinating too though because you know most of the time as you know in pharmacologic research you know with drug companies it's millions millions of dollars you know to go through all the safety trials and this that too so are you able to avoid that i mean I mean sort of leapfrog the FDA said okay Dr. Rabin you can <laughs> put this on 3000 people and see how they do like we're not too worried that they're going to you know get cancer or you know get toxic so was that like you were, that was fortunate way I mean this could be in a much lower um financial scale
1: Yeah that was the goal to make more accessible therapies for people because ultimately the there are a lot of tools like you said in the frequency medicine technology medicine space that right are low have low side effects or have no known side effects. And when we were looking at the research and trying to figure out what can we give to our patients or anyone that's struggling with stress that needs a little support um, outside of the office without a doctor or healthcare provider supervision, um, we stuck to things like uh, sound and electricity and tactile mm-hmm. vibration, mm-hmm. because those are have very well known side effect profiles, and when we looked across the board at what felt the best, what worked the best, and what had the lowest risk of side effects, it was tactile sound vibration that you feel through the body. So it's sound. Is that
0: what this is? This is again, it's uh, it's tactile.
1: Yeah, tactile stimulation. stimulation. Yeah. So it's you'll, you'll feel
0: fuzzy. like a, you'll, I haven't put it on yet. Cause obviously I want to get more direction from you. So you, you will feel, will you feel if you have this device on like a, a, a light, like buzz or something on your skin or is it in, you yeah. don't feel anything? Yeah. You'll feel a buzz. It's you'll it, feel, it, but like a light buzz. You'll feel on the, in the area where you have it. And yeah. even if you have it on your, like you have it on your collar, mm-hmm. so it feels like it's not, even, is it touching your skin? I mean, or it's, it's like, through my body, it, body. yeah, I mean, it's it your with, body, but it going through your clothes. Yeah. It works over clothing. Uh, Will you still also feel like a little bit of like a vibration or something? You will. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it feels it feels a lot like um, if you tap both buttons. If you tap both buttons once in your device, by the way, it'll give you a um, the first trial wave, um, which is recovery. Um, You have to tap both buttons at the same time. Um, It does work without the phone. Um, Oh, I don't have the phone on. Yeah, yeah, it should work if you just. I have the, the little blue light is on. Does that mean it's it's like charged? It the other that means it hasn't paired to your phone yet, but oh, but it should work. It should work if you tap both buttons one time. And do you need? You um, don't need a battery in this, do you? It has a US. It has a chargeable battery. Recharge, recharge. Oh, it has the rechargeable battery because I charge the thing. All right, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So the, yeah. So it feels kind of like a cat's purr, or uh-huh, uh-huh. like an ohm feeling like you've ever done ohm chanting yeah yeah i did that that. i've done that i've played around with that yeah yeah and and then that slow rhythm that it delivers to you is that is the ideal breath rhythm that we enter when we enter a meditative state which is about five Mm. to seven breaths per minute which from 70 years of biofeedback research has shown that if you send these specific rhythms to the body, the body starts to naturally enter those states on its own and starts wow. to the way Is there any goes.
0: contraindication. Like if somebody has a uh, pacemaker or something that they can, you know, or a pregnant
1: woman, I mean, is there just so I want people to know, I mean, is there any, or not really, we have not seen any risks any, problems so far or contraindications. Okay. I think that, you know, what we have seen is similar to music that if you, if you listen to music, that's too loud. It can, uh-huh. High energy states in the body that, okay, like restlessness or discomfort, but then you just turn it down and it goes away. Interesting. Um, okay. So that's so it's really, it's really sound waves. And so it has a lot of the same impact on the body that music has, but just felt through the skin. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, just, yeah. You know, it's funny. I,
0: you know, again, in my practice, because I do like functional medicine along with immunology. And, you know, typically, you know, people come to me, they're very sick and I'm working on a lot of things, you know, and some of the things are, you know, um, you know, pharmacologic or or prescription that I have to use and or immunological. But I'll always like sort of try to end the session if I feel the patient's open to saying, you know, you're under you're, you, you let's say if you have fibromyalgia, you've been really sick a long time. You know, I know you're, every day is a battle. I said, but if you can listen to music for like 20 minutes a day, your favorite songs, you know, and they, they look at me a little bit. I'm like, trust me, I do this myself because I know when I don't want to listen to music, that means I'm feeling moody or not at my best and it can pick you up. And I said, you know, obviously in medicine, we don't have all the explanation for these things, but it's worthwhile. So it's really fascinating what you're saying And this, this to me is really, really exciting. So, so what did you find with the with the with the uh, the veterans? You know, the the overall was there some kind of like
1: you you said, twenty five percent improvement, fifty percent improvement in some of these things. So, so that was just for healthy subjects with cognitive. That was healthy. Okay. Yeah, that was healthy subjects. After that, we did pilots in PTSD populations uh, and saw eighty to ninety percent response rates within eighty to ninety percent. Within just two to three weeks of using the product, and people stopped, they were able to stop taking or decrease their use of as needed sedative and hypnotic medications really wow like uh, benzodiazepines we had a couple people forget that they were taking xanax regularly because they were something else that could wind them down which was so surprising to me but also part of our our goal that we did not expect it to work that well but you know as an addiction trauma psychiatrist primarily my focus is always on let's get you off of as many of the medications that you don't need as possible. So we can understand what's wow. actually happening underneath the surface. A hmm. well, people just get buried in medication and we forget what we're actually treating. So, um, so taking a, a lot of people who had come to me in my practice, of I see a lot of treatment resistant mental illness. So most of what we're doing is actually decreasing some of the medications they're on. So we can understand what's actually helping wow. you hurting and then let's like look underneath the surface and see what's going on. But when you start to do that, especially when you replace the medications with something that helps people feel good in their bodies that they're in control of, like Apollo, then people start to have improvements in symptoms of like across the board of, of uh, vagal and autonomic dysfunction symptoms. So depression, you mentioned, we see that improve quite a bit. Really? Uh, we've seen anxiety especially social anxiety improve and anxiety around functioning during the day overall day-to-day functioning improves including in folks with trauma and folks with severe autoimmune disorder Um, and we've seen improvements in um, autoimmune symptoms quite a bit in particularly in Raynaud syndrome which is really fascinating wow really Um, and uh, positive results in folks with metastatic breast cancer recovering from pain so pain is a big one that has chronic pain especially has a um, entrained neural stress response pathway that gets learned in the body. And, you know, it's estimated that 80 to 90% of chronic pain is actually living up here, not in our bodies anymore.
0: Yeah. So, well, yeah, I guess that circuit. Let me ask you this too. You know, one of the, again, the people who turned me on to Apollo was Dr. Neil Nathan, who's a mentor of mine. And I'm a huge fan of all his work. And, um, he said, you know, in some of the our, our talks that, you know, a lot of times, you know, on, you know, the, uh, I guess on the site or whatever, they recommend wearing for hours. He says it's too much for most patients. Do you recommend that sometimes people start out with the five minutes a day or 10 minutes and then slowly build up? And just in your experience, you know, or, yeah. you know, or is it okay? Like you just put, plug it in, do it and leave it on for five hours because otherwise you're not going to see a response. You know what I mean? Like I, when I, in medicine, what I, my, Key thing, which I tell patients again from my experience in treating a lot of patients, I have to even when I'm dosing medication say, okay, what's the most likely that they won't have a bad effect, but I got to see some improvement because otherwise they're going to lose sure. interest. You know, because I mean, somebody puts one of these bands on the Apollo Neuro and they've been wearing it, you know, whatever. Let's say someone told them, oh, be careful, wear it like three minutes a day, and they're like, this is doing nothing. Yeah you know, so what's your experience in recommending to you know a typical patient you might see who's very stressed out remember I'm in New yeah. York we're, we're the stress capital of the of the of the world yeah. you know?
1: <laughs> so what would what would you recommend so so people you know we have a lot of study data on this now in thousands of subjects so I can give you very uh, informed information now. Um, I think the we see people using it at moments of stress very successfully. Um, at just, moments of stress? You know, all of a sudden yeah, they keep it on? Okay. Yeah, well, they'll be, they'll be wearing it. And then right before they're about to enter a stressful situation or in the middle of a stressful situation, they'll okay. just reach down, tap the buttons, turn it on. And you don't need your phone to use it. And it will just turn on and do its thing and help you know give you those benefits of pause and uh, calm mindful presence you know in in the moment so that's a a big way that people use it but I think the what we're seeing from the clinical trials data is that if you wear it at least an hour and a half during the day to give you energy and focus during the day and then you use it especially in place of stimulants or Uh, caffeine, and then you use it at night to wind yourself down for at least 90 minutes in place of things like, especially in place of things like alcohol or sedatives or sleep aids that we see people getting up to 30 more minutes of sleep a night. That's concentrated in deep and REM sleep, uh, and reductions in um, resting heart rate and significant improvements in heart rate variability that are cumulative, meaning increasing over time over three months. And that can and that continues after three months if people keep using it. So, um, if people want to, just like anything, like a breathwork or meditation or mindfulness practice or yoga. You have to you you have to practice it to get your body retrained to Mm. function at its higher, more recovered level thing. There's no magic bullet for illness. You know, we don't have antibiotics for mental illness yet. We're not there, but we do have tools that you can now wear that require almost no effort to actually get you into that state of recovery more effectively, more often throughout the day. And so Apollo does that. And what's really interesting is that our average use across our active users is over four and a half hours a day. So people really? are on average exceeding when, they, when they're when they explained how to use the technology and how to get best results, they're actually exceeding what our recommendations are. And we're seeing that they get- Well, what is your recommendations? Because you say, what is, it, what is your recommendation? Least, at least 90 minutes a day, uh, and at least 90 minutes at night, five days a week. That's what our clinical trials have shown is a critical threshold for starting to get twenty to thirty minutes more sleep a night. To give you an idea, that's more—that's as much as Ambien or Trazodone, the leading sleep aids. This just is so like cool. Body. This is so cool. Okay, I have to ask you this though because I'm not sure if you're as good a businessman as Tim Cook at Apple.
0: <laughs> um, you get one of the Apple Neuro devices. Is it a lifetime thing? I mean, do you do you have to like repurchase or, you know, I know like with GammaCore that you have to every like three months. Get a new charge for their system because I want to compare that to this. And if you don't mind, a few minutes. But this, it looks like you get this. This is
1: you got it for life as long as you keep charging it. And yeah, so so at present, when you buy Apollo, you buy the hardware, you own the hardware, and the hardware gives you access to all the basic features Mm -hmm. of the app that are manual. And we also include scheduling features in there that regulate your circadian rhythms. So one of the biggest benefits we've seen with Apollo is that it will give you energy when you need energy and help you wake up and it'll calm you down and help you unwind. Well, okay. And- I want to ask you about that. Okay. Cause, Cause I, can- yeah. So it's regulating your entire circadian cycle for you. And then okay. on subscription called smart vibes that does that automatically for you using AI that's optional. Oh, wow. Oof. Okay.
0: Uh, so just for you know, again, the listeners and viewers, you know, here we have a phone. The, the pile neural has, Can link up to your phone, and I guess really what I want to ask you is that. And again, I learned this from Dr. Nathan. You know, before I even got this, you know, that you have these different categories like energy and wake up, and you know, clear and focus. So, if you want, like, what is really going to hopefully, you seem like a really serious guy, so it doesn't seem like this is a gimmicky thing. What is? What what is the difference in these? Is it different frequencies or something? What is it that differentiates that's going to help somebody to sleep versus being really focused in a meeting? What what is what is this? To, it sounds
1: almost too good to be true. What is this? To, what? Think about think about music, right? Like right. you brought up earlier. So there's certain kinds of music, that, right. They, faster and louder and gives us energy and makes us want to move that's right up. right i'm listening when i'm working out i definitely it's you know i have the tiger rocky when i want to
0: go exactly. to sleep at night it's you know it's a little right. more of a yanni from uh, <laughs> the Greek. right
1: but you wouldn't mix those no right? i would not it, it would be, be right it would throw you off so there's actually a neuroscience to that and when you look at the way people's heart rate and rhythm and breath rate change when you change the frequency level of the music or the loudness of the music it has a real and almost instantaneous effect on our heart and breathing rate and so Apollo does the same thing. It's music, but it's in for all intents and purposes, but it's composed for your body instead of your ears. So higher energy, higher frequency vibration patterns tend to increase our energy and lower energy, lower frequency vibration patterns tend to decrease our energy. And so Apollo learns about your chronotype or your and your circadian. Oh, wow, wow. And then customizes a rhythm of vibes for you throughout the day and night that help you to restore and regulate and strengthen in your circadian rhythmicity.
0: Oh, wow. That's really impressive because, again, that's something I deal with my patients a lot too. Again, the patients that I see with chronic fatigue, for example, you know, one of the biggest battles and it's understandable is that a lot of times they can't sleep, then they sleep till- Two in the afternoon, and I try to tell them, you know, again, a lot of the things that I've read that getting that morning sunlight is so important for your circadian rhythm. I mean, there's a whole yeah. reason we're supposed to be up during light. So you're saying that you think, even with the, these type of devices, that you can actually start to
1: slowly adjust or move the circadian rhythm back into a normal rhythm? Yep. Yeah. And and at the same at the same frequency or or effort that's consistent with circadian rhythmicity trials. Right. So in the circadian Mm. trials, it shows that to to restore a circadian rhythm for yourself and get it regular and consistent takes about 21 days, which to have significant impact on your sleep. Quality and duration. We're seeing within 21 days, 95% of people who use Apollo every day at the recommended frequency, on especially on a customized schedule, um, 95% of people have a statistically significant improvement in their sleep within 21 days. Yeah, this is so really interesting stuff. Really, so it's really reinforcing of and providing more tools that support our current knowledge on why sleep and circadian rhythms are important and how that impacts our overall inflammation and cardiovascular health. Okay. All right. I'm going to ask you
0: what was kind of winding down here. Something that's very, again, as you you can tell, I'm very interested in this area because, again, in my immunology background, I think the nervous system and the immune system for too long were seen as parallel tracks, not realizing how interconnected they are. And As I mentioned a few months ago, I interviewed uh, Dr. Peter Statz, who uh, did a lot of the work at John Hopkins and and founded the company ElectroCore, which makes the GammaCore device which I've up till now you know, prescribed for patients. So tell me if that's held, that looks like a little electric razor, as you probably know. It's held up against the neck, right where the vagus nerve is for two minutes on each side, typically twice a day. Um, how does your device work that it's not near the vagus nerve or it doesn't matter? And how would you compare, you know, hopefully, you know, critically, but fairly between your device and that device?
1: Yeah, they're very different. They're uh, very they, different. Yeah, uh, they, they work in the same system, though. So the vagus nerve system is this core preserved nervous system that is connected to all parts of our bodies that regulates our immune system, our reproductive system, our digestive system, our sleep and recovery system. And it you know calms the body and helps the body enter recovery states. So that system is important for lots of different things. That's why we activate it with, you know, with stellate ganglion blocks and vagal nerve stimulators in seizure disorders and PTSD and depression and why we have these things like gamma core that you can put on your body um, and stimulate your vagus nerve through the actual vagus itself and then now right. other ones that do the inside of the outside that's of right the ear, right? mm-hmm. So that's how we started because most of the literature in the neuroscience space about improving the functioning of the vagus nerve has all been on electricity for over a hundred years since since Faraday first built the capacitor and discovered and built the first electroshock machine, right? That was how that's how old vagal nerve stimulation is. And so nothing about vagal nerve stimulation is actually new. Um, Gamma core is a very old technology and a new package. Um, when we started exploring electrical stimulation of the vagus nerve and comparing it to sound and touch, what we found out was that electricity has a lot of downsides. It scares people because it shock it shocks you. Well, it is you know when people use the gamma cry, I mean, the part of the way it works is it's actually got to make your lips start to droop, right? <laughs> so people- it, has, it, it, it has real side effects, right? So. Side effects include it can shock you, you can actually get burns on your skin from using it too much, it's time limited. You have to take time out of your day to use it, but you can also only use it for recommended amounts of time. Right. So it can cause it can cause over sedation, right? It can cause other side effects that are too calming, vasovagal episodes, things like that, orthostatic hypotension. We see all of these kinds of issues that happen when people use vagal nerve stimulators or they and and especially when they use in the wrong way they have to be used very specifically so what we and and what we wanted to do was release something that was safe enough to be used by children pregnant women adults elderly folks that could be released to the public that didn't have a prescription barrier that didn't get i get it so yours is not though going through vagal nerve stimulation it's going through what would you it's Going to the vagal nerve, but there's lots of ways to activate the vagus nerve, right? Well, so, but how can
0: you how can you activate the vagal nerve if you're wearing it on your wrist or your your
1: ankle, like you have? Because the vagus nerve innervates our entire bodies, so it goes to the ankle. That. I mean, it goes. That's to why the, it's called. That's why it's called the wandering nerve. No, I right? know that. I, I, I'm yeah. very
0: familiar, but I, typically for me, I mean, obviously it's coming out of your neck, going into all the viscera. You know, again, like the heart, the spleen. I mean, a lot of areas in the abdomen, but. To extremities
1: that I wasn't familiar with. It, go, I mean, like,
0: it so it affects an, the
1: ankle or the wrist. It's an, it's an indirect pathway, to, okay, to other parts of the body. So there's the direct pathway into the vagus nerve, which is through the actual vagus nerve itself, which right back in the inside okay. of your the these different spots. Then there's the indirect pathway, which is activated by peripheral stimulation. So the reason why you feel good when you hear your favorite song or soothing music or when you get a hug mm. one is not because you're getting direct stimulation of your vagus nerve it's because you're getting soothing stimulation to other parts of your body okay you interpreted in your emotional cortex as safe okay. and then it's a signal to the vagus nerve that says hey i'm safe hypothalamus turn down all the inflammatory stress response activity i'm okay. safe enough to be present right now i'm safe enough in my own skin So there's an indirect pathway that goes to the center of the brain, the insulate cortex, which connects to the anterior cingulate cortex, the motor emotional center, and then to the amygdala, the fear center, that when we send safety signals like soothing touch, our favorite song, things like that to the body, smell of our mom's chicken soup, right? Those are all peripheral ways to induce these states of of, of radical and profound calm and presence in the body that are all through the vagus nerve system, but they go through the center of the brain first. And that work was actually discovered by, in large part, um, Bud Craig, who mapped out the entire emotional nervous system over the last 20 years um, with a number of other colleagues and how it connects to the vagus nerve system and the fight or flight system. That's fascinating.
0: Wow. Okay, I, I learned a lot today, boy. Let me ask you a question: Do you have one preferable area um, about wearing? I mean, obviously the wrist versus the ankle. I mean, the wrist you can hide it; the ankle you can hide it. You know, on your on your uh, on your shirt, people don't really. They may say, "Well, what is that?" But they don't. It's not really, you know, um, obtrusive
1: in any way. Is do you, but is there any one area that you think works better when it's when you wear it? So, so, the interesting thing about Apollo is it works anywhere on the body because it's activating through the touch receptor system. Mm-hmm. It does work better on dense bone because bone bone. Transmits, okay. bone transmits low frequency sound waves better um, than other parts of the body. So, so wearing it on your chest or wearing it on your ankle tends to be the favorite for most people. But a lot of people move it around. They wear it sometimes on their chest, sometimes on their ankle, sometimes on their wrist, hip, collarbone. Back of the neck, back of the pants. It's a very, you know, unique wearable because it doesn't matter where you wear it to get the benefits. If you want the the fancy AI features and the sleep tracking and the ability to prevent unwanted middle of the night wakeups that we just released in the fall, then you can. You have to wear it on your ankle or wrist when you sleep. But um, the core benefits of the technology can be delivered anywhere on the body, which is really convenient for people. You gave me another great
0: idea too now. I'm really starting to think, you know, you know, when people go to doctor's offices, understandably, most of them, they're nervous because they haven't met, you know, a lot of times people say they haven't met the doctor yet, whatever. It might be nice to have like some really nice, soothing music. I mean, not the kind of muzak that I, you know, is kind of nauseating, but something that would put them in a, a more relaxed state, but anyway, that was just my
1: yeah. My we, so to that point, we have hundreds of doctors now around the country that are just handing out Apollo to their patients as soon as they walk into the waiting room. So they have Apollos behind the counter, and we know what white coat anxiety is. We know that really wow, right? We know that when you get your blood pressure, your breath rate, your heart rate measured, yeah, sure. by your, doctor, your physical, if you're nervous, you're going to have higher values right. that are not representative of your daily resting values. So these folks, especially at mental health clinics, you walk in, you tell them you just you arrived, they hand you an Apollo, you wear it for 15 minutes before you go into your appointment, sometimes throughout the appointment, and people feel better. Their white coating doctor anxiety goes down. They have better outcomes from their procedures um, because they're calmer going into them and um, and they have better encounters with their doctors and healthcare providers, which is really exciting. Maybe, maybe we should give
0: this out to like in the House of Representatives and the Senate. Maybe these guys would all get along better if they were calmer and not less angry. And, you know, and, and all get along better if you're we angry. <laughs> all right. So, Dr. Dave, where can we send people, the listeners
1: who want to find out more about Apollo Neuro and your work? So, if you want to learn more about apollo i would say the first place to go if you have an iphone is to the apple app store and download the apollo neuro app Um, we have a free demo now of apollo vibrations on the iphone that you can try at home or anywhere you are um, which is really fun um, it's free upgrade on us uh, to feel Apollo, one Apollo vibration through your phone. Um, if you want to try the wearable, which I'd highly recommend, and um, get access to all the exciting advanced features like preventing unwanted um, wake-ups in the night, um, go to our website, apolloneuro.com uh, or wearablehugs.com, which is what the kids call it. Um, and you can find me at on socials, uh, Instagram and Twitter, at Dr. David Raven, and on my personal website at drdave.io. All right, that's terrific.
0: Uh, this was great. I learned a lot. I hope everyone listening does, and uh, I hope we can meet up again and you know discuss some more about this.
1: Likewise.